at 11.15 on July 29th, my fiance, Griffin Phillips, was installed as the associate pastor at First Christian Church here in Danville, and that was just beautiful. Uh, and then I was on vacation for a week uh, the first Sunday in August. I'm thankful to Hol- Reverend Hollywood who, uh, who pitched in and did a great job. Um, so I was on vacation, and I'm going to tell you, it was great. One of the reasons it was great was because it got, I was in a place where there wasn't a whole lot of cell phone service. Thinking about buying a house in a place where there's no cell phone service now. One of the reasons it was so nice is I got out of the 24-hour news cycle. You all know what I mean? Uh, but I did hear one news story. I was listening to satellite radio in the, in the rental car. And they told the story that Apple has, has, has broken a barrier. And those of you who have followed or investors, you know they are the first company to have a value of over $1 trillion. What is that? That's uh, one with, is that 12 zeros? 12 zeros? the most valuable company in history. But you know what's so interesting is uh, 20 years ago, uh, all the conventional wisdom, all the pundits and so-called experts said that Apple was about to go under and go out of business. Probably some of you remember that. Some of you who are younger than me, you can't fathom the idea that Apple would go out of business. But 20 years ago, their products were dull. They were used by only a very small number of people. And so they started an advertising campaign. Do any of you remember the advertising campaign they began? You remember it was a commercial and it had a, a, pictures of famous people who went against the grain. People like Gandhi and King. Uh, and, they, and they said that this, they said our product is for those kind of people that think different. They kind of played on the the old slogan of IBM, and I know some of you in here are IBM guys, and and you remember the the, the five-letter slogan for IBM was think. But Apple said, no, we're going to not only think, we're going to think different. Think different. I think about what Apple has done since, and that was, again, I, again our, our kids in here, people younger than me, no connection, but once upon a time, computers they were all looked the same. They were all little, little tan boxes. Do you all remember that? And, and the screens weren't this thick. They were this thick, right? And some of you who are a little older than me, you can remind me computers used to be even bigger than that. But Apple, what they did is then they introduced something called an iMac, and it wasn't a beige box, it was, it, was, it was see-through, and it was orange and blue and clear. And then later they went to music, and, and, and that time we were all on CDs, which was pretty amazing, right? A little flat disc with 12 or 14 songs. And they said, we're going to develop a product where you can put 5,000 songs on your, in, in your pocket. And it was called the iPod. And then later they said, well, what about a phone that's also like a computer? And they called it the iPhone. I could ask you, how many of you have iPhones today? How many of you, if you go a half an hour without looking at your iPhone, you go into withdrawal? And think, 20 years ago, we didn't even think of such a thing. And then later, think about the, uh, the MacBook Pros and then all the products they've done because they dared to do things that other companies weren't doing. They dared to think different. 
And so what does all this have to do with our sermon today? It has to do with it very simply. As Christians, not only are we called to think different, but live different. To be a Christian is not necessarily to live the way everyone else lives. And, and you know, it's funny, we say, well, that, wouldn't that make us kind of set apart, like snobbish? But you know what? We live in a world that is hungry for somebody to live different. We live in a world where even people, who, a lot of people who they don't profess Christ as their Lord and Savior, they don't have a relationship with a local church, you might ask why, and they may give you an answer similar to that of Gandhi. Gandhi who said, I like your Jesus, but not your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Jesus. Our world is hungering and starving for a people who will live different. And the good news is that our scriptures tell us a lot about living different. So I want to take you to one of those passages today that might give us some insights. What would it look like to live different? It'll be on the screens, but also if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians, to the fifth chapter, starting at the 15th verse. If you do use your Bibles, I invite you to keep them open. You'll, you might find it helpful to refer to it through our message today. Paul writes this, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, well, it's simple enough, right? <laughs> Live different. Paul tells us right there in the midst of those six verses, he reminds us that living different is a matter of uh, living with different choices. He gives us kind of three things. You, you look in the, uh, in, the, in the English translation, it's a touch obscure, but there really is, in the original language, three parallel sentences. One, live not as unwise, but as wise. Two, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Three, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Three statements, not, but, repeated over and over again. I don't know about you, but those are a little bit challenging for me. I look at those statements and, and I think how much I struggle to live up to those how much I struggle to be wise and how much I hope, and I know any of us who are pastors, we, we want to be wise, we want to be discerning, and so often we're foolish. We want to understand the will of God, but sometimes it just seems so hard to know what is the will of God. And sometimes we try to make things happen, we try to fix things on our own, and so we self medicate 
That's a hard one to talk about. I'll talk about it more a little later. But he says, don't do any of this. See, the struggle we see in this passage, the struggle I see is that I really don't see how I can do it myself. The struggle I see is these are kind of things that are deeper. Earlier, Paul tells us, he gives us some basic, some practical ideas. Uh, Don't lie. Don't sin. If you're a thief, stop stealing. That's good advice. If you're new today, we frown upon stealing. Just in case that was a big open question for people who are here today. Uh, the answer is no. Uh, uh, in fact, it goes even deeper. It says, if you steal, I got a better idea. Why don't you um, work hard, make money, and give it away? I mean, isn't that funny, right? And he said, hey, let no evil talk come out of your mouth. Don't tear others down, but build them up. Put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander and malice and be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another. I don't know about you, but that's a little hard. <laughs> that's a lot. Like, you know, could, could, you know, maybe one out of ten. Would that work? Two out of ten. But I think what we see here is a real struggle that maybe comes down to a struggle that every one of us has. And that's the struggle that there is a sense that we are not really what God wants us to be. There's that struggle deep down that we are part of that which theologians and scholars call, have called for years original sin, which turns out isn't so original. We see it in the very beginning of the Bible. See, we were created to be good we were not, God looked at us when we were, when the first humans were made, and he said, this is very good. But we see from the very beginning that human beings were created with free will, and they chose instead of following God to go their own way. And don't we go our own way? If you don't believe human beings go their own way, next time someone tells you to do something, look deep inside you. Someone tells you to go left, and your first thought is, I'm going to go right. This is a true story. I'm not going to push too deep into this. Um, I, I, I was meeting with our district superintendent, all of our clergy were, and they mentioned something that you must not ever want to do. And I've got to confess, after he said it, I never wanted to do it more than after he told us not to do it, right? That was my confession time for the day. Don't worry. Scott knows what it is. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. <laughs> But we're like that, right? Someone says, you've got to do it. And you're like, I don't want to. When you see that happen, that's rebellion. That's the seed of when we want to do it our own way. Not anyone else's way, but our way. And that's at the basis of original sin. And so what we do is then we get to where we are and we're like, well, we, when we see things like this, we're like, yes, well, I want to be like that. I want to be wise. No one's like, you know, my goal in life is to be foolish. Nobody says that. My, my goal in my life is not to understand anything. Nobody says that. We want this, but we struggle. But you know, the good news is here in Ephesians, the good news of the gospel is that, that Paul tells us is Paul does not just write this letter filled with things to do. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. Scholars, some suggest it may have been written to be taken to other churches. 
and read there. And, and Paul's letters usually have a recognizable format. There's a greeting, and then there's a theological where he talks about the gospel. Then there's a time, the third part, where Paul says, because of this gospel, this is how you should live. And then a farewell. Today we're in that third part, but I want to remind you about the second part. Because Paul would not write simply say, do this, do that, because he was smart enough to know that if I said, do this, do this, you're like, I'm going to go over here now. What Paul reminds us is he says, I am not summoning you to work harder and do more and get better. I'm not saying you need to do this to be good enough for God. What he's saying is, I remind you that we have a Savior named Jesus. I remind you that in the midst of our struggle, God has been working from the moment of humanity's fall, has been working to bring us back to himself. And the height of that is when God sent his only son Jesus, fully God and fully man, to live the life, the perfect life of obedience you and I could not live. And you know what we did when he did that? We said, he's got to die. And so we crucified him. And he hung there on that cross. Unthinkable when we think about God, right? Because so many of us, our vision of God is God is ruling from a throne, hurling thunderbolts and lightning. But we find in the gospel that we have a God who rules hanging on a cross we have a God who hanging, bleeding, and dying has the weight of all of your sin and my sin and our rebellion and our disobedience hanging upon him. And it crushes him. But the worst word with God is never the last word. Because three days later, as the power of death and sin fought the power of God and of love, we see the triumph of love. And the power of sin that leads to death, Paul tells us, has been decisively judged and defeated at the cross. That power that keeps us in rebellion can be broken. And because of Jesus, we can be saved. You know, sometimes when we think about being saved, we, we think about being saved as, as that we are forgiven. That God says, we are made right, with, that you are made right with me. But the good news is that's true. That's true. When we are, when we are saved, we are made right with God. You can have right standing with God today. It can be as though you have never disobeyed God but it doesn't end there. You know, it's kind of like a, imagine that you're going to visit someone who's very important in your life. And they give you the path to go through the woods, but you decide you'd rather take a shortcut and you fall down a hole on the shortcut. And no matter what you do, you can't get out of the hole. And imagine while you're down in, the mid, in that hole, the person you're going to meet comes and finds you and looks down and says, I forgive you. I have nothing against you. I love you. You are mine. 
Wouldn't that be just a, wouldn't that be just such an amazing thing? But also, wouldn't you then think, but I'd really like to get out of the hole. That's the gospel. Not only are you forgiven, not only can you be made right with God, but Jesus actually reaches down and pulls you out of the hole you've fallen into. I'm so thankful to receive Bob and Elaine as new members today. And I've met with them and many others who are th- who thinking about becoming members. And I get a question over and over again, particularly people who are transferring from other denominations. You and I may have had this conversation. What do Methodists believe? I tell them, I'm sorry, we have no strange books. Um, we have no strange teachings. We believe what the Bible teaches. But one thing that's unique about us, one thing that we take a lot of pride in, is we believe that the gospel doesn't just forgive you and make you right with God, but that the gospel has enough power, that God has enough grace to actually make you right, to actually change your life. So that what we see here, that is not a burden that's intolerable, but it is something that by God's grace we can experience. We can actually live different. It can actually happen. And I think about that because when I really read these verses, and some of you have your Bible still open and you can look at them, what we see here is not really a change in behavior. What we see in these verses is a change of the heart. Look at it again. Don't be unwise, but be wise. He didn't say in action, he says in your spirit. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. Can you believe how hard, I mean, think about that. I'm going to go understand God today and his will. Isn't that kind of silly We think about it? But the, the good news is, God has said, I will, you can know my will. I've even written you a book. And so this book is a gift, but I'm going to tell you that part of the gift of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior is you might understand, as you can understand this book. This book is ancient. This book is older than any book you've probably ever read. But when God's Spirit is inside you, this book is as though it's written to you today. I invite you to take this book. Take up and read. Wherever you start is fine. Maybe you want to start with the Gospel of John if you've never started before. But today I invite you, maybe you want to read this book of Ephesians when you get home today. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible that you can understand because what happens when your heart is changed and you get into God's word, you can understand and know God's will for your life. And then it says there, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at that. We think of being drunk with wine, we think of it as an outside, as an action But any of you, and I look around and I know some of you have been down the road of addiction, it is inherently actually a spiritual issue. Some of you, you've got kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews or parents that are going through it too. And you need something more than changing your behavior. You need something more. You need God to actually come and make a difference. Some of you have been through AA, you know that I think it's step number two of the 12 steps. You acknowledge there is a power higher than yourself you need to help you. 
You see, God's Spirit can make a difference in your life. You can change your heart from one that is turned toward yourself, turned toward, because I'll tell you, anyone who's usually begun with drinking or, or, or taking drugs, and if you've been there, done that, you, you know, you, you don't start it because you think it'd be funny. You try to, to, to fix something, to mask something, some insecurity, some anxiety. You know, whether you're, you know, you want to be able to talk to people more confidently, whether you want something, you do that. You think that if you do that, you'll medicate yourself, but you find that no, what you really, it doesn't work. God says, I'll change your heart so that you won't be anxious and self-medicating, but you will actually sing with joy. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And instead of being anxious and depressed and struggling, you can live giving thanks to God. That's the promise of the gospel today. You can be transformed. You really can live different. You don't do it by your own power, though. You do it because God has come to you. We call that grace. You see, God has grace for you wherever you are if you'll just open yourself to him today. Wherever you are, and I'm going to tell you, all of us are in a place of struggle. This message I'm preaching today, it's first and foremost a message for myself. We can live in a place where there is still sin and struggle in our lives, but if we follow Jesus, sin and struggle does not have to rule our lives. And so today, I, I could give you five things to go home and do, but I'm just going to stick you with one today, and that's to cry out to Him. That's to just say yes to Him today. Wherever you are, he wants to meet you. And you say, how do you know, Pastor? I know because I've seen it happen. I look around, I've mentioned the first service, we've, we've added a lot of new pastors this year, retired and other denominations. We're so glad you're here today. We're so glad you're here and you're part of our church family. But anyone who's a pastor, I I think will agree with me, and everyone I talked to at first service did, that the most enjoyable, um, amazing thing about being a pastor is not preaching. I love to preach. We know Pastor Scott loves to preach. But it's it's not the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing about being a pastor is having a front row seat to watching people's lives change. Isn't that right? I'm looking at my pastors out there. Is that right? You see it. And I've seen it happen. I've seen people come into church, sit in the back row, keep their head down the whole time because someone dragged them there and God got a hold of them. And it changed their life. And now they're outgoing. Their life has changed. They have been giving meaning and purpose. And now as they're walking through the valley of the shadow of death at this moment, they have the peace that they know that Jesus is walking with them. That's what happens when you let Jesus into your life. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you've, where, where you stand. But wherever you are, it doesn't matter because Jesus is right there with you. Maybe you don't want anything to do with God and and, and Jesus is coming and he's just reaching out and wants to put a hand on you. Maybe you're here and and you've said, man, I want to know more but I don't have any sense of peace in my heart. Jesus wants to come and give you forgiveness and peace in your soul. 
Maybe you're here today and say, I, I believe. I believe for a long time. I've come to church every Sunday since I was in the womb. But I need, I need peace in my heart. I, I need, there's something in my life that I struggle with. And I can't promise you that by, you know, 1.30 it's going to be all fixed. But what I can promise you is that wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. And when you look back, you will see what he has done. So wherever you are today, you know, we can choose with a big tragedy in life. The big problem we fall into is not that we don't think that we do anything wrong. It's not that we don't think we're sinners. I think people know that. But the big problem we fall into is thinking that the way we are is the way it always has to be. And folks, God's grace is enough that says that whatever race you are now is not the last word. And that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. And so we live in a world where everyone wants to go in a certain way and say, we've well, got to live this way. Brothers and sisters, I call upon you by the mercies of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but what does Paul tell us? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the good news today, that that can happen. And that just as Think Different launched a revival at Apple Computer and made them some money, Live different. That commitment today can begin a revival in your soul that will pay eternal dividends. And so will you say yes today? Will you say yes to what God wants to do in your life? Will you live different? Let us pray.